Writing the rocky love story of a second-generation Chinese New Zealander and a recent Taiwanese migrant has been the focus of writer Rose Liu's six-month writer's residency at the Randall Cottage in Wellington. It's the 20th year of residencies at the historic cottage. Rose's time there has just ended, so it felt like the perfect time for a catch-up. Her first book was a prize-winning 2019 essay collection, All Who Live on Islands. So is Rose leaving with the manuscript she'd planned to write there that was going to include a lot of one of her favourite things to do, tramping? It's deviated, but, like, I think the heart of it is maybe the same. Like, I think that, um, so I sort of set out to write, like, a, I think I was describing it to people as, like, Brokeback Mountain, but in the Tararua is... <laughs> Great title, <laughs> which is like not really panned out in that way. But um, I think the main two characters that I always had, which was um, Moon, sort of like a second generation Chinese New Zealander, and then Xiao Han, who was older and came to New Zealand in her 20s from Taiwan. So there's a bit of like a 15 year age gap between them. I think that's still remained, but the I guess the like context of it has changed from tramping more to climbing, which I think is like a specific nuance for people who are not in the outdoors does like not seem that significant <laughs> but like if you're in the community like trampers and climbers do tend to be slightly different people but I think to like outsiders they're just we're kind of like the same same <laughs> yeah. so it's so changed different. in that way oh my goodness yeah, yeah. so I mean I saw this as a a sweeping multi-generational epic story but tell us more about your characters and the story that you're telling yeah moon is kind of like in her mid-20s has recently moved to wellington um she's living with her grandma so there is a bit of that um multi-generational sort of stuff going on whereas like yeah shauhan um emigrated to new zealand at a different time which i think gives quite a different experience and something that i've tried to be exploring is just i guess how the different times you arrive in New Zealand kind of impact what you view of it and like how you are um, but also just thinking about the dynamics of a queer relationship where there's a bit of an age gap what parts of that work and what parts of that do not and then complicating part of the story well think something that I'm really struggling with <laughs> is that also with the different generations is like different language proficiencies so like the grammar speaks Hokkien and Mandarin, and then Shaohan, who is Taiwanese, also speaks a bit of Hokkien because they have the same sort of language there in the older generation, but then Moon kind of just speaks English and bad Mandarin. So, like, and that's been something that's been, like, really hard to communicate on the page, that some characters understand each other in some languages <laughs> without it just being, like, blah, 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 she said in Mandarin, you know, all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that, that would yeah. grow old very quickly reading that one, Rose. Yeah. I know you. one of the things that you wanted to look at here is a different dynamic to perhaps what we've read quite a lot of, which is the, the, the inherent conflict there's been historically between the Asian community and the Pākehā community, particularly historically, but now also, mm, of course, as mm. well. So you've gone in a different direction here, right? So I did a workshop with a, um Australian academic called Gilbert Kaluuya, and he sort of talked about this idea of a lot of Asian diasporic writing is focused on Asian acceptance into a Pākehā majority. It is a constant theme because it's something that you sort of grapple with as like a person growing up in like a pretty Pākehā community. You do kind of want to be accepted in that way, but I've always just been like, well, what's next like I feel like we can't keep 
talking about that. And I also just don't think it's the right conversation to be having because I feel like it's sort of asking for Asianness to be let into whiteness, which is I don't think the point of it. And so I kind of wanted to be like, well, what if I wrote this book about two people who are Chinese, but maybe like have different understandings of that means to them. And then that's more of like an intra-community sort of book rather than one that's kind of still just asking for Asianness to be accepted into whiteness. Yeah, that yeah. aspect of identity. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there are many aspects, layers to identity, but that's... Exactly. Well, and just, yeah. again, the whole, like, I wanted to write something where, like, starting from a point where I assumed the reader knew as much as I did, rather than assuming that the reader is going to be Pākehā. Yeah. Now, you've come from a history of writing essays, of course. That transition from essay writing to writing a novel how has that been for you because I mean you've just been talking about the research that's gone into mm. that you do your research for essays because it's non-fiction but how are you finding that transition yeah. is a big one it's really big and I like don't think I anticipated how big it was and yeah it has been quite confronting um to go from a more essayistic style to a fictional style but I will say that fiction is way more fun and like no restrictions right? no restrictions and also like i feel like i get a bit like sad if i have to think about my own life too much like it feels too navel gazy and i'm just like oh god here i am again thinking about this thing that happened to me and i it's like doesn't feel that interesting or useful so i think fiction in that way is more free and enjoyable but i think that like something i really honed in essay writing was i knew when an essay was working and when it was going well whereas i don't i think that's been a harder thing for me to gain in fiction because I think in essay writing I think I'm like okay if I really think about it and I can really like crystallize what I think and it's really clear I know that the essay works whereas I don't know what my like metric for is the fiction working because I'm like oh everything's made up and so I think I've been relying a bit more on like external feedback <laughs> for help with is the fiction going okay? Dialogue yeah. can be a real challenge for those going from non-fiction to fiction. And you just mentioned mm. before about, the, if you like, the translation and the language, yeah. which is part of the story, isn't it, Yeah. Um, to do that. But, I mean, are you finding that to find the different voices for different people, not just yourself, has taken some thought? Definitely. Um, and I've been – so I got into podcasts this year, like, finally, after years of being like, what's the deal with podcasts? Um, and I listened to this really amazing um, Tin House Live podcast I can't remember the author's name but she did an amazing um, talk on dialogue and how to write good dialogue um, and that was like really influential in me thinking about it and like it's stuff that is like in hindsight quite obvious like dialogue on the page is not the same as everyday speech because everyday speech is incredibly boring <laughs> but like which seems really obvious right because I think a fictional universe is not the same as real life, but we sort of have this suspension of disbelief when we read a novel and there's like an immersive factor of it, but you don't actually want the conversation to be very like, oh, um, ho-hum sort of thing. Yeah, Whereas you can like edit a... your conversations at the end of the day and take out the boring bits. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. So it has been interesting to like try and find those different voices you mentioned before that the tramping, which is what you love to do, has moved to mountaineering. <laughs> I imagine that that actually has a purpose within the story, not just a, a plot device, but actually a metaphor. Actually, before I um, set off on the writing part of the project, I was like driving with a friend of mine 
to a mountaineering trip and he made the comment that like tramping and mountaineering are quite fun to do but quite boring to read about <laughs> lovely <laughs> and i was just like oh god damn it he's right um because like the actual like mechanics of it and the sort of the scenery i'm like it can get quite repetitive if, if that's the only thing that you're doing and so i think for me it was quite good that he said that to me before I started the project because then it made me think, well, what else does the story need? And I think it's kind of moved to be like the mountaineering, tramping, like climbing stuff is the backdrop and the sort of activities that the people are on, but they're more like vehicles for the other things that happen in the plot. Yeah, rather than being the main driver because I think I realised for something to be like really impressive in like a mountaineering sense there needs to be like a really high element of danger extreme situations and I just knew that my characters were just going to be like normal people level rather than like at the top of their game so like I felt like because of um who the people were I it wouldn't be a book that was like driven entirely by the tramping and the mountaineering but more of that's kind of the setting for like the situations in which these people meet um and the things that they do recreationally as well as transitioning from essay writing to fiction writing, Rose, of course, you've had these six months almost completed at the Randall Cottage. I mean, I've been up there. It's a little historical cottage. They've kept the character of it really well, though you have some modern amenities, which makes life nice. <laughs> but that process of being able to have a dedicated six months, now we don't really have that many full-time writers no. who can do that. What, a different, what difference has that made to you? I cannot think of a single time in my life where I have been given so much freedom and time to just explore an idea and felt like a huge privilege to be on residency. And I also think that having all that time and space, it's been interesting to like really be able to think through some ideas and some dynamics and like give that a lot of space rather than just rushing because I always feel like my first idea is not very good. And so, like, it takes time to get to the better second idea. But I think that was reflective of me and my writing process because I think lots of people seem to be able to get to a quick first draft, whereas I think that I get very upset if something's not working and I need to, like, slow down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's all, people have all different approaches mm. too. And, and I've always imagined with you being a tramper that maybe that's when you do your thinking mm. and then you sit down... And write, whereas there are other writers who, who, and you may be just as disciplined, but they will basically go into where they write at six o'clock in the morning and they will write until midday or whatever it is. You know, there's all these different approaches. What have you found about your approach to fiction writing? I think that I've been reading a lot, which has been really nice. And like, obviously, like reading is kind of what I think seeds the writing. And I've, my general days have sort of been I've been reading in the mornings and then I've been writing in the afternoons, and that's been pretty all right. And I also have like a bunch of people that I talk to online quite regularly because Wellington has a lot of poets but not as many prose writers around my age and so I think a lot of my questions about craft I just have a little quite active (laughs) chat group (laughs) that I air on my life it's like having your own writers it is like a a little bit of a writers group yeah that's really cool though I love that (laughs) I think that's really neat are you you don't have to tell me the, the title yet 
Um, there isn't mean, one. <laughs> still, after six months, you're still working on a title. Yeah. It's really important, though. Oh, no, yeah. I hope someone else will give me a title at some point. Have you, and this often happens, have you really kind of fallen in love with your two main protagonists? I mean, what is, after all this intensive thinking and reworking and working on their relationship, what's your mm. relationship like to them? And have they changed greatly? I know their, their situation um, has stayed very similar, but what about them as, as characters, as people, as you thought them through? Flesh them out. I think I've like gotten to know them more. I still, I mean, I know it's been six months, but I still just feel like I only really understand what the story is now, which is like quite, I don't know, maybe that's normal for the process. But yeah, I think it's been interesting to be like, how much do I feel like I need to know about these people? Um, And I feel like my answer for that is a lot. And so there's been a lot of backgrounding and like, you know, like I know what when they were born and how old they were when certain things happened and just being like, well, how would this... Things like the uh, removal of martial law in Taiwan. I was like, well, I don't think this is going to at all come up in the book, but I sort of need to know how old this person was when that happened so I can understand... How that how that would have impacted them at the time? Yeah, even, you're a researcher. You're yeah, as a researcher. Right? <laughs> I'm just like there's all the stuff that I'm just like I feel like I have to know, even though it like doesn't really materially sort of arrive in the book. Rose Lou, this year's Randall Cottage writer in residence.